Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, we... We are digging into James still. We've been doing James, I think this is week eight. Hopefully you're not tired of it yet. I'm not tired of it, but to be fair, this is my jam, this is what I love, and James is my favorite book. So I probably won't get tired of it, but hopefully you're with me here. If you have a Bible this morning, I want you to open it up to James chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles kind of scattered throughout the sanctuary on different chairs. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, like a period, take one of our Bibles. We just, we wanna get rid of them. Uh, Brad DeShong demands that we continue just giving Bibles away. So um, today is going to be a baptism Sunday, which means that the sermon time is going to be a bit shorter than normal. Um, I want to say this. Baptism should be a time of joyful celebration. So I'm going to, I'll say this again a little bit later when we get to the baptism portion of the service, but I want to encourage you as a congregation, when these folks get baptized, to clap, <laughs> to, to, to be joyful, to be excited. Um, I, I've never done a baptism here before, so maybe you guys do that already. But I will tell you that I've been at churches where <laughs> baptisms are quiet and somber, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's the way you do it, that's fine. But I, you know what? Let's be joyful here, okay? So let's be... Um, I encourage you to cheer and clap when we come to that, okay? Um, so I said that the sermon's gonna be a bit shorter than normal. That's good for everybody. Um, it's good that I don't stay up here talking too long. Uh, here's, if I talk too fast, you're gonna have to slow me down, all right? So you gotta give me like one of those, you know, you see a car going through your neighborhood too fast, you do one of these, Adam. You can give me one of these. Brad DeShong told me I wasn't allowed to have caffeinated coffee, so hopefully that will help me sl- stay slow. Um, but he also told me that he'll hit the mute button back there if I go too long. So Dave would never do that, but Brad will. So um, anyway, oh, apparently my dad's in the sound booth and he's real happy to hit the mute button. (laughs) There you go. How's that for transparent and genuine? Um, All right, we're in James chapter three. We're starting at verse 13 and we're gonna just read our passage from 13 to 18. Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And that is our passage today. Now last week we studied James chapter three, verses one to 12, and if you remember, James does not waste his breath, okay? James is, we've said this already, he can come across as sort of harsh to us, and I hope that you can hear the voice of James more as kind of a loving father or, uh, or guardian or mother telling you, hey, get your act together. But that is the way that James comes across to us. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't waste his breath. 
He tells us last week that our tongues are a major source of our problems, right? He says, look, you let your tongues run away with you. Uh, Your tongues say things that they shouldn't say. Uh, You take your tongues and you praise God in one breath, and then you go and you tear down God's creation, one another, in the next breath, and that shouldn't be. He, He ends the passage by saying, you can't have salt water and fresh water coming from the same spring. That's unnatural, it can't happen. He said, in fact, it shouldn't happen from your mouths either. You shouldn't be able to praise God in one breath and then tear down your brothers and sisters in the next breath. That is unnatural, shouldn't happen, it can't happen. So he compares, really, that's what he's doing, right? He's comparing what life is like with a tongue that's in control with a life that is like with a tongue that's out of control. From verse 12 to verse 13, probably in your Bibles, there might be a break in a heading. There might be a heading that says something about wisdom. Now here's the thing. James didn't write that in his letter. When James wrote this epistle, he didn't write that. He didn't put a break there with a little heading there. That's the publisher of your Bible, whatever publisher you have, put that there. So if you can kind of take that out in your head, James just got done comparing two things and he's gonna go right into comparing two more things. And today he's comparing two kinds of wisdom. All right, we have a good wisdom, we have a bad wisdom. And in fact, if you wanted to, we could just say today is a tale of two wisdoms. What is wisdom? In James's context, you know, you might have your definition. You might have an idea of what you think wisdom is. And as much as I want to hear what you think wisdom is, if we're reading the, the Bible, we're reading a letter written by James, what we need to know is what is wisdom to James? That way we're on the same page and we're talking about the same stuff. Biblical concept of wisdom would be someone who is learned, they're cultivated, they're forming the best plans and using the best means for their execution, okay? That's what wisdom is, forming the best plans and using the best means for their execution. Someone who's learned, someone who's cultivated. James's point is to compare and contrast two types of people, those who are wise and those who think they are wise. Okay, you hear that? Those who are wise and those who think that they are wise. Now just kind of a little bit of a review, but think back with me. Last week we talked about the tongue, right? And James was telling us there's kind of two different tongues out there. There's the kind that tears down God's creation and praises him with the same breath. And then there's this other kind of tongue and this tongue keeps itself in check, right? He says there's two different kinds. One has you always putting yourself above everybody else, always claiming you have the knowledge and the right answer and claiming to be a teacher. He says not everybody should be a teacher. Some of you don't have humility, and so you shouldn't be a teacher. He says, look, that kind of leadership, the kind of leadership that that Jesus is looking for, that James is looking for, is leadership that's marked by humility and a desire to learn as much as to lead, not always believing you have the right answer. So we have this contrast, these two different things. The week before that, we talked about faith and deeds. There's one type of person who claims to be spiritual, but is able to come across somebody who has great physical needs. And when they come across the person with great physical needs, they have this ability to say, "Um, keep warm and well-fed, I'm praying for you. Even though they have the ability to care for the needs, somehow they're okay saying, eh, I'm gonna pray for you, and moving on. But then there's this other kind of person whose spirituality is real. It's a faith with deeds, all right? That person's faith is different than somebody. They can't interact with somebody who has needs, have the means to take care of those needs, and then leave those things unmet. 
The week before that, James is talking about favoritism. You remember, he tells a story, hypothetical story. What happens if a rich person and a poor person comes into your service? What do you do? Do you treat them differently? And he says there's two kinds of faith here. There's one that gives favoritism to the rich person. and says, oh, let me give you a special seat and then tell somebody who's poor to sit on the floor. He says that is not real faith. That does not honor God. The week before that, James contrasts a person who speaks a lot, gets angry, and claims righteousness against a person who looks after the orphan and the widow. One of them has lots of knowledge. They claim righteousness. They get upset. They sure look spiritual, but they don't do anything with it. And there's another person who maybe doesn't have all that show, but they're taking care of the orphan and the widow. And James says only one of those is true religion. Only one of those is pure and faultless as acceptable to God himself. Now, there's a pattern, if we care to look for it, that James has made all the way through here. Every single time he compares and contrasts two people, what he's doing is he's saying, the way you can tell that something is true or false is by the person's life. It's by their actions. That's how you tell. How do you tell if somebody has their religion the right, the right way? One that's pure and acceptable to God? They're caring for the orphan and the widow, and they're not letting the world pollute their mind. That, that is what it is, it's your life. Okay, when we go back through all of these things, how do you know if somebody is a person who um, has their tongue in control? Well, you tell it by their life, by the conversations they have, by the way they treat one another. It's by your life. This is how faith and deeds work together. And we talked about that the one week. We said faith is like our hands. Uh, no, we said faith is like our knees. We get on our, faith, our knees and we pray. And we said work is our hands. And we're called to have both knees and hands in our faith, not just one or the other. If you're all hands, all work, and no faith, you have a problem. If you're all knees, all faith, and no work, you got a problem. We need to be both, all right? We need to find that balance. Now, today is no different. James is, is telling us that uh, when we look at two different people, ones who think that they're wise and ones who are actually wise, life is going to show you which one is actually wise. So I've got a handout for you. And uh, normally what I've been doing is showing you my notes on the screen. This is what my notes look like, and you're getting a nicer version of it. So I'm going to give these to each section, and all you got to do is just pass it down the row. Sorry if I create feedback by getting down in front of the speakers. So you get a prettier version, one you can actually see, it's not on the screen, and you can actually read because it's not in my handwriting. <laughs> and what I'd like to do... I think this will help keep me, you know, from getting muted, um, <laughs> is just kind of walk through the scripture passage uh, and this handout with you. So we have two types of wisdom. As you get yours, you can, you'll kind of follow along where we're at. We're gonna chat about bad wisdom first, all right? So on your paper, there's a column that says bad wisdom. And I took the verses for each of these types of wisdom and put them there. And so, you know, take this, use it as a bookmark in James for yourself if it's helpful. If it's not helpful for you, just throw it away at the end of the service um, in the trash can, not at me, not on the ground. Um, what we're gonna do is gonna just reread a couple of these verses. So verses 14 to 16, under bad wisdom, we're gonna read those quick, here we go. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, 
unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. All right, now, just some quick explanation here. What you're gonna see is, uh, the first thing it says is, bad wisdom is exemplified by bitter envy, selfish ambition. Now, the words that I placed next to that, those are not just synonyms. Like I have done the other weeks with my notes, is my goal is to go into the Greek and provide you with a more full understanding of the words that are being used here. So these aren't synonyms, these are alternate ways of looking at that Greek word, alternate translations, if you will. And, and by looking at that, we get a better idea, I think, of what James is trying to get at. So when he says bitter, uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition, what's he talking about? Well, bitter, another way to say that's just harsh, and envy, it is jealousy, but also could be a contentious rivalry. So I just think about your relationships. James is not just, he is speaking to relationships once again. All through this, he's been speaking to relationships. Your relationship with your family, your relationship with people around you, your relationship with the poor, your relationship with the rich. He is talking about your relationship everywhere. He is talking again about relationship. Bitter envy has to do with some sort of contentious rivalry. And that's good for us to know. Envy and selfish ambition cannot hold the same place as wisdom. They're not the same thing. In fact, they're opposites. And you probably think, Nick, I get envy. I get why that's bad. But I didn't think ambition was bad. And I get that. I understand that. I think you're right. If ambition is a strong to desire to do something or achieve something, then selfish ambition is concerned with your desire and your achievement at the expense of others. I'm just gonna say it one more time. If, if ambition is a strong desire to do something or achieve something, then selfish ambition is the desire to do that at the expense of other people. Can you think of an example of that in your own life? Can you think of something that, that you have said or done in a way that you've lived, decisions that you've made that have not been about ambition but have been about selfish ambition, that have come at the expense of other people? As I was trying to think about this, the thing that I kept getting stuck on was politics. And I kind of have this rule that I don't talk about politics from up here because I don't think this is the appropriate place to do that. But I also have not hidden the fact that, boy, I hate politics. And I'm just gonna be honest with you this morning. You know one of the reasons that I really hate politics is because I just never see an example of politicians that aren't more concerned with tearing down their opponents than they are with getting their own platform communicated. And so when you have a, a debate or something or, or just even make it local stuff online on Facebook, rather than just sticking to their, their opinions and their platforms, they take it a whole step further and say, well, I'm not gonna get enough votes, so I better tear down my opponent. So I'm gonna take their worst day and the worst things about them, I'm gonna throw it in their face, I'm gonna spread it around. That's selfish ambition. That is trying to get what you want at the expense of other people, rather than just sticking to your platform, rather than just standing on your platform. That drives me nuts. That, that's why I try to stay out of it, because I've just never met a politician who doesn't do that. And I think if you choose to be a politician, you open the door wide to that. In your own life, being put on display for other people, but also being tempted to tear down other people to get ahead. Because it's all about winning. What would ambition look like that is concerned about other people? I think that's the question that we have to ask. If we know what selfish ambition is, what's ambition that's concerned about others? 
And I think it looks like advocacy. It looks like driving someone to a doctor's appointment that can't get there by themselves. It looks like correcting an injustice when somebody is blamed for something that they didn't do or they're being charged for something they didn't do when they've used up all of their legal recourse. I think it looks like advocating for people who can't advocate for themselves, like the mentally challenged, the disabled, children. That is what it means to to be concerned for others. That is what it means to be an advocate. That's what it means to have the sort of ambition, I think, that would honor James, because if we look back, if we remember, James is the one who said, following God in a pure and faultless manner is caring for the orphans and the widows. And in his society, in his day, those are literally the people who can't speak for themselves. They have no platform, no recourse of action. And so he's saying, look, if you follow Jesus, then you better stand up for them. You better speak on their behalf. You better make sure that they're cared for. Selfish ambition? I mean, in our world today, maybe you get ahead with selfish ambition. Maybe you look smarter, you look learned and wise, and you get more power. But you show me the person who got there with selfish ambition, and I'll show you that the ground behind them is littered with bodies of people that they hurt and stepped on and walked over to get there. And that, we all make mistakes. We've all got hurting people behind us. And we need to deal with that. But I certainly, I'm not gonna call something wisdom that guarantees we're leaving bodies behind us. Now James goes on to keep talking about wisdom. He says, where does the bad wisdom come from? He doesn't say that. He answers the question for us. Where does it come from? He says, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil, okay? And this sort of reminds me of the beginning of James's letter when he asks the question, where does sin and temptation come from? He says that this kind of envious, selfish ambition that appears as wisdom comes from the earth, all right? So, and you'll see next to earth, I wrote of spiritual, or excuse me, of this realm. And, and what that word is doing is not so much trying to talk about the planet, it's trying to let you know it's not talking about heaven. That is not wisdom that came from heaven, that is wisdom that is from here in this place, from our minds. And then he goes on, if you, if you look, he says, it's unspiritual. It's what we have in common with animals. You think about like, what separates human beings from animals? Animals live on instinct. It's about how full they can get, how much they can eat, that they have a place to lay their head, that they feel good, they pursue those things. Sort of uh, like carnal desire. He said, this, this earthly wisdom is like base animal instinct. It's like pursuing what you want. It's pursuing to make sure that your belly's full. It's pursuing to make sure that you feel good. It has nothing to do with heaven. It's governed by appetite and passion. And again, when I start reading that and digging into the Greek, I go, yeah, that seems like the world around me today. Doesn't it? It's what I want. It's what makes me feel good. And those are the things I'm going to pursue and chase down and go after. Okay, I get it. And then, and then he goes on to say it's of the devil. So first it's unspiritual, and then it's of the devil. And, and I feel like exactly what he's saying is, look, if you're going to make this spiritual, then I'm going to tell you this is not of a holy spirit. This is of an evil spirit. This sort of wisdom, this sort of pursuit of selfish ambition, it's of an evil spirit. Okay? And, and, then, and then he goes on again. And if you're wondering, if you pursue this kind of wisdom, what comes with it? He says it brings disorder and evil practice. 
So if you think that the ends were gonna justify the means by pursuing worldly wisdom or earthly wisdom or bad wisdom as I've labeled it on your paper, the, the, the means are gonna haunt you to the end. That's the way it's actually gonna be. You're not gonna find stability at the end of that path. You're gonna find instability. You're not gonna surround yourself with people that you can trust. You're always gonna be wondering who's gonna stab you in the back next. You're not gonna find peace, you're gonna find disturbance. And he writes evil practice. You open the door, it's like a gateway drug. It's a slippery slope. By pursuing this kind of ethical path, you open the door then to every sort of evil practice, to every sort of wicked ethical decision that could be made. And you start to say to yourself, well, I did this once. Could it really hurt to do it again? Oh, I did that, so, I mean, this really isn't, that's not as bad as that, so I can do this. It becomes a slippery slope. And this is why James is guarding us against bad wisdom, against earthly wisdom. He's saying, don't go there. It doesn't lead to a good place. It's gonna haunt you, it's gonna be worse. James isn't gonna let us stay there though, okay? And that's one of the things that I've always liked about James, and we've, we've talked about this throughout the series so far, is that when James brings up a problem for us, when he says, hey, you've been doing this, you guys need to do this, he provides us with an alternative. And so that's why I like this passage this morning when he talks about wisdom, because he doesn't just tell us what bad wisdom is, he tells us what good wisdom is too. So we're gonna read uh, a couple verses here, and if you can't read, I made it really, really small, just to fit it all together. There's two verses, I'm not taking things out of context. We're gonna read verse 13, and then verses 17 and 18, all right? Because those are the verses about good wisdom. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. All right. So good wisdom, you'll see at the top of your page, good wisdom is exemplified by a good life and humble deeds. Good life and humble deeds. And as you can see, if you're looking at the Greek and you're looking to see how does this word get translated some other places, it's pretty self-explanatory. The way we get it, that's right. Good life and humble deeds. And the thing to know with life is that maybe it might be better for us to say behavior or conduct only because it helps make it that much more rubber meets the road, that much more grounded. It's not just this general, hey, lead a good life. No, he's saying, hey, show good behavior. Have good conduct with other people, all right? Um, here's the key to understanding a wise man from a smart man. A wise man will not value himself merely upon knowing things if he doesn't have the knowledge to make right application of that knowledge. I'll say it this way. If you need relationship advice and you go to a smart person, a smart person's gonna tell you how to move forward. And that's good. But if you need relationship advice and you go to a wise person, the wise person isn't just gonna tell you how to move forward, they can show you how they did move forward. They can bring out their spouse or their significant other and say, this is how we move forward. The difference here is just knowing it and being able to apply it. And it's not to put the smart person down, by no means. Kudos to them for knowing the right answer. But James says that true wisdom isn't just knowing the right answer. 
It's applying it. And that is where we as church folks bang our heads against the wall. Because we gather in rooms like this all across the country every Sunday, sometimes Wednesdays, Wednesdays, other days during the week, and we fill ourselves up with a whole bunch of knowledge. And then when we walk out the door, we fail to apply it. That's, that's us. That, I mean, that's the reputation that Christians have anyway. I'm not saying that's necessarily you. Maybe you are the person who fills yourself up with knowledge and walks out the door and does apply it. But chances are, like me, you're somebody who messes up. You're somebody who gets filled up with a bunch of knowledge and then forgets to apply it in a given situation. Like me this week, or the hard week, being frustrated. And perhaps, perhaps I said words I shouldn't have said. Perhaps I talked to people that I, in a way that I shouldn't have talked to them. Perhaps there are hurting people behind me that I need to go back and fix. Not fix the people, but fix what the hurt was, okay? I need to figure that out this week. What we need to do is start making a very serious commitment as followers of Jesus that we are not content being a bunch of people that sit in a room and consume, 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 consume knowledge and never go out and apply it because the world doesn't need any more of that. That's called hypocrisy. And James is gonna talk about that. We don't need more hypocrites in the world. There's plenty of them. What we need are people who are actually committed to living for Jesus. And so if we're gonna sit in this room and we're gonna gather this knowledge and we're gonna share, we're gonna testify to it and we're gonna raise our hands in worship and we're gonna, out of, out of this tongue, I'm gonna praise God and then out of a, the same tongue, I'm gonna go and tear somebody down? No, there's no room for that in a faith that follows Jesus. Just like when we walk out this door, we better start applying the stuff. This is James's lovingly father voice saying, guys, get your act together. Theologian Matthew Henry said this, um, and I love it. He said, true wisdom does not lie in good notions or speculations so much as in good and useful actions. Some of the wisest people that I've ever met have no degrees. They have no funny frames on their walls from universities and whatnot. They are the salt of the earth, most humble people, that have experienced all the best and the worst that life have to offer, and they're willing to share that experience with you. It's not about good notions, speculations, and knowledge. It's about good and useful actions. And this is where our faith and our works must come together, our knowledge and our deeds. Now he goes on to say, look, good wisdom comes from heaven. Very simply put, and what, again, what he's doing is he's saying, look, it comes from heaven, it's not of this place. When you act or, or respond in good wisdom, you're not responding from a thing that you figured out or you came up with. You're responding from something that is beyond this place, beyond this realm, beyond humanity. It's coming from another place. It's coming from heaven, a higher place, a place belonging to God. That is where good wisdom comes from. So James is contrasting these two wisdoms. One is earthly, and one is about our desire. And if we make the origin spiritual, like we said, that bad wisdom isn't from a holy spirit, it's from an evil spirit. But he's saying, look, this good wisdom, when you show it by your life, when you show it by your lifestyles, when you show it by your actions, when you show it by the way you treat other people and talk to other people and care for the people who can't care for themselves, when you do that, you are showing a wisdom that you have gleaned and understood and gained from heaven, not from your own brain. Now, when you find a man or a woman who is wise, 
whose life, behavior, and actions show wisdom, when you find the one that can tell you the right answer and show you the application, when they show humility in their knowledge and experience, when their motives are pure and not driven by selfish ambition, when you find that person, you're also gonna find the last thing on your paper. Good wisdom brings with it pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And here's how we're gonna wrap up the day. I'm just gonna touch on each one of these really quickly. Because sometimes we see these lists in scripture and we go, oh, that, that sounds good. And then we never dig in any further. We, it's kind of like, like getting a whole bunch of knowledge and never using it. It's all right in front of us. It's right there. And instead of digging in and going, okay, what's purity? We go, okay, I gotta be pure. And then we don't really think about it again. So I wanna just take a moment and think about each of these things today. Purity tracks down sin in my life, okay? In my bad week, if I sinned in the way that I treated the people around me, in the way that I treated my wife, then I need to go and chase that down. I need to stop that from happening. Whatever it was that triggered me to have that argument, I need to end that thing. I need to, I need to stop that trigger from happening again. And I need to repent from it. I need to get on my knees and say, God, I need you to forgive me. And I need to get on my knees and say, Chris, I need you to forgive me. I need to do what I can do to restore the peace that sin broke in my life, okay? That is what purity is. That is chasing down that sin. It is restoring the shalom. And peace-loving is the next thing. It's the natural next step. If, if, if purity is, if my goal is to, to restore the peace that was broken by sin, then being peace-loving is protecting the places where sin hasn't quite broken the peace yet. which means that I need to seek peace in my family. I need to seek peace in my church family. I need to be an advocate and an agent of peace in my society and in my kingdom, or as we would say here, my country. And that's not easy because we don't really want to be peace people. Peace takes a long time. It's messy and it's hard. And there's alternatives to peace that get the job done quicker. But guess what? Good wisdom leads me to peace. And it leads me to be an agent of peace, especially in places where sin has not taken root. Wisdom from heaven's considerate. It doesn't stand on extreme rights. And when I was looking into this word in the Greek, the thing that it focused on was extreme property rights. Isn't that interesting? That's what they would have been most concerned about in biblical times, extreme property rights. But if you just take property rights out and just think about extreme rights, are we not dealing with extreme rights in today's society as well? Consider it doesn't stand upon extreme rights. It's not focused on censorship. It's not furious about others' opinions. It doesn't force our opinions on others or assume rudeness and malice when other people disagree with our opinions. Wisdom is considerate. It has as its concern equity, and it is gentle in its application. In fact, in some places, the word for considerate in this passage is translated as gentleness. Heavenly wisdom requires submission to it. That should go without saying. 
I mean, what is the point of coming to church and get, engaging scripture and hearing about the, the changes that we need to make our, to our life if we're not willing to make the changes? We don't want to submit because submit's a bad word to us. Who wants to submit? I don't want to submit. I want to be strong and be a leader and all of that. But you know what? <laughs> Why have this if I'm not willing to let my life come under this? I need to be willing to submit to it. If I find that there is something in my life that does not honor and glorify God, I need to submit my life to God and get rid of that thing. To not be willing to submit is to find stubbornness where submission is needed. And I don't know about you, I'm really good at being stubborn. Wisdom from heaven is full of mercy and good fruit. See, wisdom from heaven creates an inner disposition towards kindness and mercy. That, that inner disposition, that inclination that we have, that's the seed of good fruit. It allows us to pursue difficult things like forgiveness when we've been the one that's been wronged or hurt. It allows us to pursue difficult things like reconciliation when we've been estranged from somebody because of the damage that we've done to one another. Difficult things This wisdom allows us to pursue difficult things now, to give up the immediate comforts for the long-term joy that we find in God. Because if I'm angry at somebody, my short-term comfort is I'm angry at them. But the long-term joy is gonna be found when I forgive them and I reconcile with them. Heavenly wisdom allows for that. It creates an inner disposition that we just naturally begin to lean that, that direction. Wisdom from heaven is impartial. It doesn't show favoritism. And, and this is a tricky one, but this, is one, this one is about allegiances. And if you think back in James's day, there's a lot of concern about allegiance to Rome. Well, allegiances that take the place or get in the way of our allegiance to God often muddy our wisdom and our opinions. These allegiances often ask us to compromise what we know to be true about God's call upon us. And adherence to these allegiances above our allegiance to Christ at very best make us ambiguous Christians. They make us unclear and uncertain. When we have allegiances in our life, that are greater than our allegiance to God. It's called idolatry. And no matter where you look in scripture, Old Testament or new, God has a no holds bar relationship with idolatry. He's gonna get in the ring and he is gonna end it, okay? So if there are idols in our life, if there are allegiances that we take more seriously than we take our allegiance to God, we have a problem. Wisdom from heaven is without hypocrisy. It's not about being crafty or tricky or having the best arguments. It's about sincerity. It's about openness. It's about steadiness and consistency with the call of God. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. And this is what I love about baptism, to make the transition complete. 
Because baptism is about an openness. It's about sincerity. It's about making a public declaration that, hey, I'm not perfect, but God didn't find me as perfect. He found me with all the imperfections that I am, but I have made a decision and a choice that I'm going to follow him no matter how hard the road gets in front of me, no matter how good or how hard it gets, I'm going to follow and I'm going to declare that in front of the people who have gathered today. I'm going to declare that in front of my community. It's sincere, it's open, it's consistent, and it gives testimony to the work that has been done. Wisdom from heaven leads us to a place where we are willing to step forward and make a public declaration like that. Because when we don't make those sort of public declarations, we can hide in the shadows. We can, we can sit on that, I don't have it all together and that's fine. We don't have accountability. We may not even have a community. We can come and go as we please because the back door always is open, right? But when we allow heavenly wisdom to compel us to do so, we make a public declaration in front of our community to say, look, I wanna be a part of this thing and I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to be there for me through the thick and the thin, through the ups and the downs. I'm choosing to be in relationship with God and with you, my family, my friends, my community, in front of whom I'm making this declaration. That's what baptism is. The work has been done already inside. Now we declare it for all to know, for all to see, for all to hear, for all to rejoice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Um... And then I'm gonna invite you to sing a song. It's called the Revelation Song. And one of the things that I love about this song is that it is God revealing himself to us in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's straight out of the book of Revelation. It's straight out of these visions that John has when he encounters the throne room of God and he sees what God looks like when he hears what the angels and seraphim are doing around the presence of God in the throne room. And what I want you to think about is how God has revealed himself to the people who are choosing to be baptized today. Praise God, right? Praise God that he has revealed himself to them and they've made this choice. And I'm excited for that, I'm excited for them, I'm excited for us as a community because quite honestly, we've been doing a whole lot of funerals. It's time for some celebration. So I wanna invite you to sing this next song with joy, with celebration as those who are getting baptized are getting ready to get baptized, that they would hear that and be encouraged by it. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today. Thank you for who you are in our lives and thank you for giving this clear picture of good wisdom and bad wisdom. And God, I just wanna pray that you would allow us to use good wisdom as we move forward that we would not be caught up in selfish ambitions, that we would not be caught up in using our tongue to tear other people down, but instead we'd be focused on the very things you call us to be focused on. And God, I wanna thank you for the folks who have made this commitment today. I wanna just ask your blessing to be upon them. I wanna ask your blessing to be upon this congregation as they welcome them. And God, I wanna just I wanna give you the words of the song. They are your words already. They are your scripture. But we give them to you, we respond back to you with them. 
excited to someday meet the God in the throne room that John describes. God, reveal yourself to us in your name. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.